Everyone, please turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22. We're going to read through together verses 1 through 19. Genesis 22, verses 1 through 19. I will be reading from the English Standard Version. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Verse 5, Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they both, so they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb? For a burnt offering. Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. Verse 11, But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, And behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as of the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. 
So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived at Beersheba. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I ask that you would speak to us by your Spirit. I ask that you would convict us of our sins so that we may turn away from our sins unto righteousness. I pray that as I am speaking, you will convict me too. You will help me to decrease so that your son may increase. We are here to worship and adore your son, Jesus Christ. I pray by your spirit that what will be communicated from your word will be applied to our lives so that we may understand the significance of why you have communicated to us in your word. And I pray this in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. As as I was thinking about today's passage, um, today's message, uh, which is actually Luke chapter 1, verses 72 through 75. Um, in fact, if you don't mind, just go ahead and turn there. What I'm going to do is read from Luke chapter 1, verses 67 and uh, through 80 for the sake of reading it in context. But our morning passage is verses 72 through 75. If you don't mind, just follow along as I read. It says, And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people, has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all, of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the, the oath 
that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. And you, Chow, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go through, uh, go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. As I was saying, as I was thinking about today's passage or the introduction of this sermon, I can only think about the doctrine of soteriology, which is the doctrine of salvation. So questions that came to my mind is, what are the means of salvation? How is it that God saves sinners? Why would God save sinners in the first place? Uh, Last month, we discussed the first couple of verses of Zechariah's prophecy. And we learned that he is speaking about God's overarching plan of salvation. And as we continue with Zechariah's prophecy, what I want you to notice is in verse 72, we will start there. Because he highlighted one of God's qualities, which is mercy. Mercy. Zechariah said to show the mercy promised to our fathers. His words are comparable to Mary's words. In Luke chapter 1, verse 50, is Mary's song of praise the Magnificent? Uh, she, asked, she said, And his mercy is for those who fear him. And according to verse 54, in the same chapter, or Luke chapter 1, verse 54, she adds, God has helped his servant Israel in a remembrance of his mercy. Mercy means to have leniency and compassion towards something or someone and to have pity upon the undeserving. I believe that it is Luke's desire that readers understand how God interacts and has interacted with his people, in particular, the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God chose, if you remember the story about Moses, that he chose Moses to save Israel from the Egyptians. The people, um, he spoke to him, 
through the burning bush, telling Moses to be his prophet and to deliver his people from enslavement. And what I want you to know from this particular story, and that's in this chapter 3, verse 6, is how God referred to himself at the time he was speaking to Moses. And you read throughout scripture, you catch a little phrase here and there, or a repetitive, a repetitive phrase. Notice what, how God said. God said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. That's how God referred to himself. There are other places in scripture that made the same reference of towards God. For example, Jesus referred to God the Father in the same manner. When he was speaking to the Sadducees about the doctrine of the resurrection, our Lord said, You are wrong because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. And as for the resurrection of the dead, you have not read what was said to you by God. I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Have you ever wondered why God is referred to as God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? The answer is, it is a reminder and it's a reminder for all generations that God has made an everlasting covenant with Abraham. And the beneficiaries of this covenant is the nation of Israel and for those who are grafted in by faith. These, these names, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, represents three generations. And God has repetitiously reminded Israel of the mercy that started with Abraham, the Abrahamic covenant. And those who have received the inheritance of this covenant have also received God's mercy. And to understand God's mercy was, uh, was extended to his descendants. And I, I think it's very important to, for us to understand God's mercy, to look at the progression of Abraham's life. How God divinely intervened in Abraham's life on several occasions. So write this down. Here's the first progression of Abraham's life. God chose Abraham by calling I'm putting emphasis on calling him out of the land of Ur, of the Chaldeans. And, made, and God made a promise to him that his descendants will possess the land of Canaan, which is where the state of Israel currently is located since the year of 1948. Here's the second progression of Abraham's life. God reaffirmed his covenant uh, with Abraham by establishing the covenant of circumcision. 
What I want you to do is take notice as you writing down notes. I take notice of Genesis chapter 17, verses 6 through 8. You can turn there if you like. In Genesis 17, verse 6 through 8, God said to Abraham, I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of the sojourners and all the land of Canaan for an everlasting covenant. And I will be their God. And also look down in Genesis chapter 17, verse 10 through 13. Uh, This is the second progression of uh, Abraham's life. He said, this is my covenant, which you shall uh, keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins. And it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. So shall my covenant be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. Another point is the third progression of Abraham's life. That God established his covenant with Abraham by confirming that to Abraham, that Abraham would not go to the grave childless. And when Abraham was 100 years old of age, God blessed him with a child, Isaac. And I think it's important to try to help you guys visualize the progression of Abraham's life because it's, it's important because this is what Zechariah is speaking of. So let's pause here and lightly discuss these covenants. Again, notice in verse 72, uh, back in Luke chapter 1, verse 72, it is clear that Zechariah understood these covenants because his, he, is prophet, he prophesied by saying to show the mercy promised to our fathers and remember of his holy covenants God made two everlasting covenants the Abrahamic covenant and the covenant of circumcision but how is it or how is it possible for any human to accomplish these covenants it wasn't possible for a human to accomplish it. Abraham and his descendants could not fulfill these covenants wholeheartedly. And for example, after the uh, Jewish people completed their conquest by conquering the land of Canaan, they turned away from God by worshiping idols. And God punished them by allowing the Syrians the Babylonians, Rome, the Greeks, 
to rule over Israel. And this is why Zechariah repeatedly said in his prophecy that the Lord will rescue them from the hand of our enemies. And furthermore, if you travel to Israel now and you go to the temple, uh, where the Herod's temple, right above the temple is the Dome of the Rock, Dome of Rock which is the Muslim mosque. It sits right there where the Jewish temple once was. This, this is just a demonstration that God has not yet fulfilled the everlasting covenant with the Jewish people for them to possess the land entirely. And even though they do not possess all the land, one day our Lord Jesus Christ and the millennial kingdom will rule in Jerusalem. He will rule for a thousand years as Israel's sovereign Lord and bring Israel to a state of dominance. Another point of how Jewish, the Jewish people did not uphold the covenant of circumcision that God gave to Abraham and his descendants. For example, the Lord God was going to put Moses to death because he failed to circumcise his own son until his wife Zipporah intervened and circumcised their son. Now, the covenant of circumcision distinguishes uh, Jews from Gentiles. And if a Gentile converted to Judaism, he had to be circumcised. That's why in Scripture we see the proselytes. We see Jews and the proselytes. But eventually the covenant of circumcision presented problems for Gentile Christians. Because Jewish people wanted to make them follow the Mosaic law and heed to circumcision. God's original intent, uh, intentions about circumcision wasn't a matter of cutting the foreskin, but it was a matter of the heart. Now Moses said, circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. The apostle Paul reaffirmed God's original intention about circumcision. And Paul said, for in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but only faith working through love. In other words, circumcision is an outward expression of what God has done in a person's heart. Just as much, baptism is an outward expression of what God has done in an individual's heart. Some of you may be thinking why I'm going through length to discuss these covenants. Well, I think it's important. 
is important to us and to the world. Because we cannot uphold the covenant the way that God wanted us to uphold them. Therefore, God made a unilateral covenant with Abraham. And the covenant, the Abrahamic covenant, the covenant of circumcision, because God knew that these covenants was ultimately would be fulfilled in Christ Jesus. Notice in Luke chapter 1, verse 73. Zechariah said, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham. The oath is the Abrahamic covenant, which is foundational for salvation. There are plenty, there are at least eight covenants in total when it, when it comes in Scripture. You have the Noah covenant, Noah's covenant. God promised that um, he would not again flood the earth, but he never said that he would promise to not burn the earth. You have the priestly covenant. So there are covenants, but when it comes to salvation, the Abrahamic covenant is foundation for all. Because it is not a covenant of works, it is a covenant of faith. Earlier, I I asked, the reason why... Melvin was reading Genesis chapter 22, verse 1 through 19, because I asked. Um, but that particular passage demonstrates to us the principle of this covenant, which is faith. This passage illustrates how God will accomplish the everlasting Abrahamic covenant. Melvin read the story as you follow along, so I'm just going to recap. Uh, God tested Abraham and said to him, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. When they arrived at their destination, Abraham took his son, tied him to the altar, grabbed a knife, and was about to slaughter his son until God yelled out to Abraham and told him to stop. You you have to ask the question in the first place, why would God give Abraham a son and then tell Abraham to slaughter his son? Isaac was the next person to receive the Abrahamic covenant. I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and of Jacob. So for Abraham to kill his son would be an unthinkable act. I asked a Christian friend once, as we were sitting down and at, at our place of work, I asked him, would you, if you hear God's voice, and you knew that was God's voice, would you slaughter your son if God told you to? 
He said no. <laughs> said no, and you know, I would ask you the same question too. Would you take your only son or your child and slaughter and kill your child if God told you to? I hope you your answer is no. <laughs> But I want you to understand the gravity of what Abraham, I mean, what God told Abraham to do. Abraham's answer to God was, yes, I will slaughter my son for you. Because Abraham knew that if he had killed his son Isaac. God would have raised Isaac from the grave. God would have resurrected Isaac. This is what the writer of Hebrews said. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17 through 19. He said, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he would And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead. Again, some of you may be thinking, how does this relate to me? How is how the events in Abraham's life and the covenants that God um, made with Abraham, how does that have any bearing upon my life? If you're thinking that way, I will suggest that that thought is entirely untrue. Because what we need to understand is that the principle from Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 through 19 was a foreshadow of how God sacrifices only son, Jesus. That scripture says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. It was predestined for Christ to go to the cross. Because God knew what he was going to do. So Isaac, the offering of Isaac, foreshadowed Christ's crucifixion. To put it in terms of how Scripture uh, conveyed the message, God has slaughtered his son, Jesus, to extend mercy upon the undeserving, us. The truth of the matter is, you and I deserve hell. But we receive the mercy of God. This is true. According to Ephesians chapter four, verse uh, Ephesians chapter two, verses four and five, Paul says, 
But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. It's just a matter of faith. Do you recall when God approached Abraham? He initially, Abraham's name wasn't Abraham. It was initially Abram, which means exalted father. And God changed his name to Abraham which means father of multitudes. The reason for this is because God saw us in Abraham. For all who have faith in Christ will be the sons and daughters of Abraham. Turn to Micah, chapter 7, verse 18 through 20. Micah 7, verse 18 through 20. Is in the, I know those, Micah is like one of those little prophets, uh, Old Testament prophets books where you don't really read often, so you have to really search for it. But I assure you it's there. Um. It's right before Nahum, the book of Nahum. Micah said, listen to this carefully. Who is, who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity? And passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us, he will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. So if you turn back to Luke chapter 1 and look at verses 72 through 75. You will understand now why it was important for Zechariah to not only mention David, but also to mention Abraham. Because the Davidic covenant that God made with David includes salvation as well, just as much as Abraham's covenant. This is why Zechariah said what he said in verses 73 through 75. The oath, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham, 
to give us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. Zechariah was looking for the promise that God has sworn and swore to David and to Abraham, where he can worship freely in holiness without being suppressed by the Romans. Zechariah knew that the dawning of the Messiah was near. He knew that the Messiah was coming. Because this is a prophecy about his own son, John the Baptist. And John the Baptist was the forerunner of Christ. I have to add, before we come to a close, all of us have something in common with Abraham. Not that it's true that we were grafted into the Abrahamic covenant. We are now sons and daughters by faith. But if you listen what I said earlier about the progression of Abraham's life, you can do the same thing. You can add that progression to our lives. Abraham was an idolater. An individual who worshipped supposedly the sun and moon until God called him from the land of the Chaldeans. So in one way or fashion, he was introduced to the real God, the true God. And after that, Abraham believed by faith. And God counted Abraham's faith as righteousness. Akron Alliance, we too once were in the same boat. Before you knew God, truly you and I, or before we knew God, truly you and I were idolaters. We worship idols until he called us until uh, unto his son, Jesus Christ. He drew us to his son. And when we place our faith in Christ Jesus, Jesus' righteousness was credited to our account. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your written word. We thank you for your grace, your peace, and the salvation that you have given to all men and women. If a person who do not believe in your son is not because you have not offered salvation, it is that they reject you by faith they reject your glory they reject your personhood 
Now, Scripture says the fool says in his heart that there is no God. The scripture is true. So I pray that I pray that what we have learned today will apply to our lives and proclaim this truth to everyone that we know. So that they can understand that salvation is for them too. That the Messiah has came. That he was crucified. That he died on our on their behalf and on our behalf. And again he will come again. So Lord, I pray that we would take this message, we would take your truths of your word, and proclaim on just as much as Zechariah proclaimed it in his prophecy. And as the ushers are coming up, I pray over the offering. I pray that whatever we give, how little it is or how much it is, that it will only glorify you. If you look upon the integrity of our hearts, knowing that we are giving it all to you and that we are cheerful givers. But I also pray that you will allow this offering to further your gospel and the ministry of this church. Amen.